Well, let's open our Bibles again to Psalm 25 as we continue this morning. We're going to spend the entire month of August in this psalm, a psalm about trusting God and what that means and what that looks like. And I trust that uh, it will be used by the Spirit of God to minister to your heart. Psalm 25, please follow. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. God saved my soul almost 40 years ago. It was through a home Bible study in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit opened my spiritually darkened eyes and breathed new life into my heart, a heart that was dead in sin. And immediately I noticed a new relationship with the Bible began to develop within me. I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted nothing more than to learn God's ways and Understand how he has revealed himself in his word. So I, I went to the local Christian bookstore and purchased my first Bible, this Thompson Chain reference Bible. That the binding is falling apart. But I love this Bible, and I'll always keep this Bible. It's on my shelf, and I pull it from time to time. But the uniqueness about this particular Bible is because it's called a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, is it has chains that run through 
the entire scriptures based on topics. And for some reason, the very first thing that burdened my heart as a brand new Christian was to know the will of God and how he leads those whom he saves. And so I started in the beginning and I worked through the entire Bible learning from every verse that fell under the categories of guidance or the will of God. And that study was so rich for me. I still have the little green spiral notebook where every verse is handwritten out in cursive, which I don't even write in cursive anymore. And and, um, just uh, the blessing that the Lord used. the, the burden in my heart that he developed that I wanted to be a follower of Christ that stayed true to his word, to be faithful to God. It was kind of like my son's gecko. I was shedding the skin that I had been used to, the skin of self-will and my sense of waywardness and putting on a heart for God and a heart of submission to his leadership and his lordship in my life. I have another possession I keep hung in the hallway in my, in my house that I bought. Same day I bought this Bible. A little keychain. It's so worn out I don't use it as a keychain anymore because I'm afraid it's, it's going to break and I'll lose it. It's my only Christian trinket, I guess. I don't get into Christian trinkets. This is just, for me, it's a statement of where I was at in my heart before the Lord as he saved me. And um, it's got this little etching of a car, like an old Model T or something on it. I'm not that old. but but And it says, um, where you lead, Lord, I will follow. And that by God's grace, that's just been what he instilled in my heart from the very beginning. And it's a work of his grace and not a work of my doing. The Lord Jesus paid for my sin and though I had heard pieces of the message of the gospel throughout my life, I never heard it stated the way the scriptures state it. That is, that I, as a spiritually lost sinner and rebel at heart, needed divine rescue. I didn't need someone to just come along and help me get to heaven. I needed someone who would dive into the ocean and pull me up off the ocean floor and breathe new life into me because I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And the Holy Spirit did that for me in the gospel, through the gospel. And I know that that is the testimony of many of you here today. And so as the Lord began his new work within me in those early months of 1984, this idea of the Lord's leadership in my life Uh, just became extremely important to me. Lead me became really the desire of my heart. 
And that's what we see here in verses four and five that we're gonna look at intensively this morning. As David is pouring out his heart to God in this lament psalm, we talked about that a little bit last week, and we talked specifically last week about the first three verses and how God deals with our shame, the two kinds of shame, the sin shame, shame that's attached to the wicked things that we have done in our past, and the provoked shame, which is shame that's attached to the ways that others have sinned against us throughout our lives. And how Jesus takes away our shame, that the blood of Jesus Christ not only deals with the penalty of our sin, but also deals with the pollution of our sin, the shame that's connected. And how we find freedom in Christ knowing that our sins are forgiven and he has begun a new work in us. And so we see this teachable spirit that is a part of what it means to trust in the Lord. Uh, We see that clearly in verses 4 and 5. And what it communicates to us is that those who trust the Lord in a biblical way are people who seek his guidance. They desire to learn whatever God commands. They want to learn his ways, his paths, what pleases him. They want to become increasingly obedient, not merely in their actions, but in the attitude of their heart. More and more like Christ. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, David says. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. In these two verses, what we see is that biblical faith has a framework. And that framework is the scriptures. The framework of biblical faith is what God has revealed to us. It's not self-centered. It's not, I have my faith, you have your faith, or God speaks to me in this way and God speaks to you in that way. This is a recognition that biblical saving faith has a context, and that is the revelation of God in Scripture. And so we don't have faith in our faith. That would be silly. That's what I had before I became a Christian. I had faith in my faith. That is faith in what I was doing, raised in the church that I was raised in, to do what they told me and not do what they uh, told me not to do. My faith wasn't in Christ. My faith was in myself, in what I would do, or what I would refrain from doing. And so when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see who Christ is as the Son of God and my sin-bearing Savior, he became the focal point of my faith. Another way to say it is this, that biblical faith thrives within the pasture that is fenced in by God's Word. 
few weeks ago, Pastor Ed uh, taught us on uh, some of the I am's uh, in the Gospel of John. And one of them was Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. And so we were reminded that we are sheep. And Jesus is our shepherd. Well, what is the pasture within which Jesus leads us and protects us and feeds us? It is the pasture of Scripture. This is our authority. This is what we believe. I was reading in Jeremiah this week and spent time in chapter 17, which is one of my favorite chapters in, in the Bible, but there Jeremiah is revealing the difference between a person who trusts in the Lord and a person who trusts in himself. And after that comparison, he then tells us what our heart is really like. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Who can know it? The only answer to that is God is the only one who can fully know our hearts. So who better to speak into our hearts than God himself who speaks to us through his word. So if you want to hear God speak to you, then read your Bible out loud and you will hear him speak to you. So before we are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, before we are converted to Christ, we are like sheep who have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way, Isaiah says. But then even as believers, we do still tend to stray, don't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, the old hymn says. And so we need to constantly be coming back to God's word and saying, Lord, teach me. And so that's our big idea this morning that a humble, teachable spirit before the whole counsel of God accompanies genuine saving faith. In other words, one of the fruits that demonstrates that the Holy Spirit has saved you and lives in you is your attitude toward the Bible and your attitude toward God's people. Because anybody can say they love God, but if a person says they love God and don't love the words of God, there's a problem there. Just as we learned in the months that we spent in 1 John. So there is this humble, teachable heart demonstrated by David in verses 4 and 5 that submits itself to the whole counsel of God, which is Scripture. And this is part of what it means to be spiritually alive in Christ, to have authentic faith. Listen to some other prayers that are very similar to this. Psalm 5, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Or 2711. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And Jesus, the good shepherd, says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they 
follow me. So growth in humility of heart and teachableness in our spirit are evidences that the Spirit's work of transformation has begun within us. This humility produces a willingness to submit to the Lord by submitting to his word. Lord willing, after Labor Day, we're going to go into the book of Colossians and spend as long as we need to in the book of Colossians. And one of the things we're going to see there is the headship of Jesus Christ over the church and how he then carries out his headship is through the scepter of his word. And that's how we exalt Christ, by being faithful to his word. Now, I've used, in the big idea, I've used this phrase, the whole counsel of God, and let me just explain to you what I mean by that. It originates in the book of uh, Acts in chapter 20, where the apostle Paul gives his last instruction and warning to the elders in Ephesus. He says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's conscience was clear as he was leaving Ephesus. He could say to that church, through the leaders of that church, I have done all I can do in my power, in the strength that the grace of God has given to me to teach you the whole counsel of God. Well, what does he mean by the whole counsel of God? He means the whole revelation of Scripture and the whole plan of the redemption of Jesus Christ. Let me just really encourage you that this is so important for you to grow to maturity in Christ you have to discipline yourself to learn the whole Bible and not just camp out on one or two issues that, that really, you know, get you excited. I saw this in the 1980s in Bible college. I, I got to the point where I couldn't even go into the student lounge because there would be uh, these expert, you know, expert Bible college students who already know everything. And, um, you know, and they're, they're just in debate after debate, whether it's the end time scenario or, or um, the details of the creation account or, or whether or not Adam had a belly button. Um, you know, you, you just name whatever issue, you know, you want to argue about, and there they were. And as you walk out of the room, you can just kind of feel like this, this, um, slime of arrogance and pride just oozing out of the room. And thankfully, by the Spirit of God, um, I came from a really spiritually ignorant background. I mean, I went to church you know, every Sunday for 19 years, but I never was taught the Bible. So I came to Bible college like a sponge, just to be taught, Lord, teach me. I didn't come with decades of knowing how to argue about all of these different positions. And thankfully, God has protected me through the years. He's refining me, obviously, 
There's a lot of growth that needs to continue. But all I'm trying to say to you is, when you approach the Bible, don't approach it as if you are already the expert. Approach it with this heart that David has. Lord, teach me your ways. Make me to know your paths. Not so I can out-debate my fellow students, but so that I will live according to your ways. Teach me your paths because I want to walk in your paths. So by the whole counsel of God, what I mean is the fullness of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation. Now, you see, three life patterns emerge from this humility and teachability in verses 4 and 5. First, if you have a teachable spirit, you will, number one, seek to understand God's will as revealed in Scripture. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. That word know refers to the knowledge that leads to application. It would be similar to the word in the Bible that uh, is translated wisdom. So, um, if you've lived a while, then you know there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Um, Some people have gobs of knowledge, but not a whole lot of wisdom as to what to do with that knowledge. God wants us to be growing in his word so that then we apply it to our lives and we become wise boys and girls and men and women who honor Christ. And these, these two words in verse 4, ways and paths, they really are interchangeable. It refers to direction or mode of living. They are metaphors for the will of God. So David says, Lord, make me to know your will. Teach me your will. Teach me your direction. Teach me your path. Because that's how I want to live. So this prayer of David is crying out to God in the midst of unknown troubles, unknown to us, obviously not unknown to David, but unknown to us, the kind of troublesome context in which he was living and he is crying out to God to that God will help him to trust him but notice the posture of heart that David has it's humility it's teachability it's not lord prove to me that i'm the right one so that i can deal with all the people in my life who are wrong It's, Lord, show me your paths. Teach me your ways. And I love to work with believers who have that kind of heart. (laughs) Because it is amazing how fast they grow in Christ and in time become really useful vessels for his glory. Throughout my over 30 years of pastoral ministry, I have to say that has not always been the case. There 
have been those who profess to know Christ who really don't have a whole lot of interest in actually doing the word of God and they just want to debate and well, that's okay well it's not okay but it's okay in the sense that I don't have to invest my whole life in that kind of heart I can choose instead to invest my life in those who are hungry and teachable and really want to grow Amid his pain, David wants to understand God's ways in order to do them. Because he knows that he has a Lord who will never disappoint him. We saw that last week as well. Isn't that amazing? We have a God who will never disappoint us. If we go through things and we get disappointed with God, well, the issue is not with God, the issue is with us. The issue is with what is our heart attitude toward God and our willingness to submit and trust him. Aren't you glad that God doesn't get your permission first before he does things in your life? There are times we wish he did, right? There have been times I said, Lord, a heads up on that one would have really helped me. But he doesn't do that. Because he's after something deeper than we are. He's after deep character change, heart change, true, genuine faith that walks with him, trusts him, clings to him through anything and everything that we go through in this life. So our life might be hard and filled with powerful fears and deep sorrows, but God will not ever be the one who disappoints us. Our responsibility is to learn how to walk more closely with him and in keeping with his word. This humility is a fruit of new life in Christ. If you want a passage of scripture to meditate on this week, look up James 3, 13 to 18. And, and if you're like me and you like to write in a notebook and do stuff while you're reading the Bible, but make a chart in your notebook and on the left-hand side of the chart put godly wisdom, or excuse me, earthly wisdom, <laughs> worldly wisdom, and, and the right-hand column, godly wisdom. Just do a contrast there. That's what James does. James gives us a contrast between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. It, godly wisdom is what David is praying for and longs for. Number two, seek to learn the truth and to be led in it. Seek to learn the truth to be led in it. Lead me in your truth. See, that's where that followership comes in in verse 5. David's not just after knowledge for knowledge's sake. He is after knowledge because he wants to walk with God. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And we all know there's a difference between learning for the sake of knowledge alone and learning because we have a desire to walk more faithfully with God. This word 
walk um, is very similar uh, to uh, what we find in, in the New Testament, this idea of walking and um, lead, being led by the Lord and walking in his ways. And I read some of those verses to you earlier. But it paints a picture of the long-range pattern of one's life. That's what David wanted. David wanted the long-term trajectory of his life to be in line with God and his word. That's what was most important to him. That helped him stay on track, not get distracted so easily by, by all the things going on in our culture. To stay on track, the long haul of trajectory toward Christ and following Christ. So we need this same kind of humble determination like Psalm 2711, which I read earlier in my Bible. It's just it's on the same page on the right hand. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. I want to walk on your level path, Lord. Keep me on track. And so verses 4 and 5 kind of uh, work together. They reveal both our need for God to turn our hearts toward his word and for we ourselves to turn toward God's word. It's always a twofold responsibility. The interchange is something that only God can do, and so we pray, God, change our hearts. But he doesn't do it in a vacuum. He says, get into your Bible. Read your Bible. Meditate on your Bible. Memorize Scripture. Fellowship with other believers who love Christ and are serious about following him. And and that is how I will nurture your heart. Make me know, he says. Make me know your ways. Lead me. Teach me. Why? Because you are the God of my salvation. See, this is fruit of saving faith. David has these desires because the God of the Bible is his God. He is the God of my salvation. He has had a personal experience of being saved by this God. And because of that, his heart is being changed by the Holy Spirit. The fundamental posture of his heart has shifted away from self toward the Lord. And the fruit of it is humility and teachability. Nothing will stunt our growth as Christians more than stubborn, proud, arrogant, petty, prideful hearts. Nothing will stunt our growth more than that. If you want to grow to maturity in Christ, then 
beg God to give you the heart of verses four and five. That that would be your heart. Make me know, Lord. Lead me. Teach me. Why? Because you're the God of my salvation. This God changed David, and because of that, he wanted more of him. Is that you? Does that describe you? Is Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, changing the fundamental posture of your heart from the inside out, or have you just adopted Jesus and added him onto your life? You're still basically going the same direction you were always going, but now Jesus is is now your co-pilot. But you're still the pilot. Or have you (laughs) bailed the ship and let him, him be the one to be the pilot, him to be the one to control? to lead, to guide. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, Psalm 119. Incline my heart to perform your statutes. In other words, Lord, change the natural bent of my heart. Shift it. Has there been that fundamental shift in the bent of your heart away from self toward Christ. So we need to be aware of the the natural bents that are in us and which of them are a gift from God and which of them are a fruit of the flesh and say, Lord, teach me, lead me. I want to walk in obedience to you, Lord. There's a third action or quality or fruit of a humble, teachable spirit, and that is that you will seek to obey God while you wait for him to work. Now, we talked about this last week, that one of the words that the Bible uses in exchange for trust is wait. And let's be honest, we don't like to wait. Anybody like me? You don't like to wait? (laughs) And we get the idea that waiting is passive. That we're just sitting around waiting. But waiting is not passive. The kind of biblical waiting that we're talking about here, it's active. It's active trust in the Lord. Genuine faith, faith that is alive, keeps moving toward the Lord even as we wait for him to intervene to do things that we are completely powerless to change. And that's a real humbling place to be in, isn't it? I have stuff in my life that I am powerless to change because it involves the Lord changing another person's heart 
that I don't have the power to change. And you probably have that too. So what do you do in the meantime? You actively move toward the Lord, toward his word, clinging to him, crying out to him to do what only he can do. For you, verse 5, for you, God of my salvation, I wait all the day long. Help me, Lord, restrain me from trying to take matters into my own hands and doing something in my flesh which will end up not being your will. Help me to wait and let you do what only you can do. See, this is a fruit of genuine faith. There's a determination to to follow the ways of God that are revealed in the word of God regardless of the outcome. Our flesh tempts us to manipulate the outcome. Biblical faith says, Lord, this is the next step that I have to take. This is the next right thing for me to do. And I've got to now just trust you with what that looks like now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years down the road. I wait for you, Lord, all the day long. That's another way of saying this is just the posture of his heart waiting on God to do the things that only God can do. Is this your heart before God today? Do verses four and five describe you? Can you honestly pray those verses before the Lord? If not, this week, start praying those verses. And even if it feels like you don't mean it to start with, keep praying God's word because as you do, God will see your heart and God will change your heart and God will produce in you the kind of humble teachability that he longs to see in us. And this is one of the ways that we trust the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. We confess, every one of us here today, we have areas of our life that we are stubborn about. There's still pride in our hearts that needs to be repented of and replaced with the humility of Christ. Lord, just do a mighty work in us by your spirit, through your word. If we're not in love with your word, then please cause us to fall in love with your word and then to stay in it and to cling to your promises and to wait for you all the day long with this heart that says, Lord, make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths because that's what I want to walk on is your path.
bless this beautiful congregation that you have gathered here as cornerstone. Do the work in us that you want done so that this will be a city set on a hill shining in this world that all may see and come to know the Lord Jesus whom we love because he first loved us. Amen.